Ben um, texted me and asked me um, to, yeah, go ahead and ask God um, what he would like to say to the church. And my immediate response to her was like, I'm not very good at hearing, <laughs> but I'll be open. And yeah, as I was praying, the word unity um, kept coming. And uh, I thought it was strange because as a church, um, we are doing very well. That's what I thought. But then um, I was reminded of uh, Tuni and I. Um, we are a family of just two people for now. But uh, how, like, sometimes it's hard to even complete a grocery shopping when we are not united. Um, that came to my mind. And what God has given us as a church is a big movement, the love sound movement um, that God has given us to do, like, to the nations. Um, uh, it's a big movement, and um, we need to be united. Um, that's what came to my mind. And this was last year, uh, one Monday evening, when Tuni and I were here, we were praying, and I was prompted to sing this song over um, our church. And um, the last few verses, um, the last verse, um, this came to my mind this morning, so I'll just read out the song. Um, we are the family of God. We are the promise divine. We are God's chosen desire. And we are the glorious new wine. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together in love. Um, this last verse came back to my mind, and so I just, um, yeah, sing that over our church again. Um, let me pray. Father, as you have uh, chosen us, I pray that uh, we will be united in our worship, united in our going, united in our sending, um, united in our giving, be it time or wealth. Uh, so that your actual plan will be fulfilled through us, in us, uh, for us, and for the nations that you have prepared. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so the kids can go down for Sunday school. I believe it's Erin and Vidisha teaching. Phoebe, it's time for Sunday school. Haida. All right, see you. Oh. Okay, so today's teaching will be a three-part. Um, it'll be but with um, Sheldon and Jillian and myself. We'll each part, teach a part of it, and uh, so I'll give it to Sheldon first. This is a little more comfortable because house, like house church and stuff we get together, this is what I use. And I'm really nervous, so at least this is some comfort for me. <laughs> okay. The clapping made it worse. So thank you, everybody. Okay. I was just saying to Jane this, I think, yesterday night. I'm like, I've, I do house church. I do the hub stuff. You know, there's people there, but... 
this is this is not the same. <sighs> oh yeah, sorry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I will try to speak slow. Okay. So, um, when Jesus, Jesus went to, uh, when he ascended, um, one of the things he said to the disciples were, go, go, go and uh, bring the message of the gospel. Go to the nations, go. Uh, the word go, we've talked about before, is, is a characteristic of an apostolic people. Um, and today we're going to look at uh, we're going to look at what makes an apostolic person or an apostolic disciple. Because whether you like it or not, we are all one of those. We are all one. Whether you agree with it or not, not whether you agree with wanting to do these things or not, that's okay. But you are. You are an apostolic person. You are an apostolic disciple. You have been sent to go. I'm not talking about go like, you know, go, to the, go here, go there, go everywhere. I'm talking about there are certain things about you that will set you apart as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Every, if you look at every um, ambassador to every nation, they carry with them certain characteristics of that nation, of the kingdom that they're from. They carry with them certain things that you know they are not of the land that they are presently an ambassador of or in, but they are from a land of wherever they are representing. And you and I are disciples of a different kingdom, a kingdom that is uh, in the future, but a kingdom that is already here. Jesus says the kingdom of God is here. So this kingdom is here, and you and I, as I slow down, you and I are representative of this kingdom on this earth. So there are certain things about how we are that will show the world, set us apart, and show the world that we belong to a different kingdom. So we're gonna talk about that today. We're gonna to talk about what it looks like to be a disciple or an ambassador, a representative, and an envoy of this kingdom that is of the future and of the present because the kingdom has broken already into this world. It broke when Jesus came and it broke into each of our lives in mine. So this is what, so we're gonna look at a passage from John 9 and we're gonna take from there uh, characteristics of what it looks like to, to have uh, a lifestyle of an apostle. And this applies both for individual and as a church. So if I look at John 9, I'm going to read a short part of that. This is the story of a man uh, who was healed of his blindness. And it's such a cool story, uh, before I go into it, that from this story, one of the things that we've been called to do is to open the eyes of the blind. And through this story, as this man's eyes get open, he becomes a representative of Christ in how he suddenly changes and how his whole life changes, where he becomes unrecognizable and yet he is still the same man. Where some people are questioning, are you really the man born blind? And then the other says, but, but he is, but how is he seeing now? So there's two things that, that are really cool about this is that on one hand, he, after he is healed, he starts to carry an apostolic 
a, a trait in his, in his being at the very moment. And at the same time, it shows us that this is what an apostle does. This is what an apostolic believer does. We go and open the eyes of the blind. And we're not talking about just the healing, although that absolutely applies. But we're talking about opening the eyes of the blind so they can now see what is the truth. What is Christ brought onto this earth to show us? What does his kingdom look like? So that they can make this choice to say, I want to, I don't want to. All right? This is what it looks like. So if we look at John chapter 9, I'm just going to look at... I'm going to read the first seven uh, verses. So as he, as in Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming, when no one can work. As long as, as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. I love how Jesus like, does these things where even like the, the name of the pool where he told him to go wash is the name. It means scent, scent ones. I am sending you to be, to go there, to, to be healed of your blindness, so that on one hand you see, and then you actually see. And then you go, in, and now I'm sending you to go and open the eyes of the rest of the world. I love how he used somebody who was blind to open the eyes of the ones who can see. It is such a cool story. So we're going to, we're going to take this entire chapter today, uh, well, the three of us will, um, to, to look at um, what it looks like, what, is the, what, is, what does it look like when I being called now an apostolic believer, what does my life start to look like now, now that I carry not, uh, not a Canadian uh, 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 characteristics, not a, uh, maybe my culture, Chinese heritage, uh, none of that stuff, but a kingdom culture. What does it look like to carry a kingdom culture on this earth where I am still in a country, in Canada, I still have my ethnic background, but I am first and foremost, one who carries a culture of this, this future kingdom that is present on this earth, that this world so desperately, so desperately needs and wants to see. So the first thing that we're going to look at that we, we notice here is in verse 8 and 9. So in verse 8 and 9 says, The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. I am the man. There's something about when I become a believer and as I start to walk around, I, I carry, a, I, I will start to carry a different lifestyle in how I, how I am, how I behave, um, in my speech, uh, in my thought patterns, in my, in my, I can't read this. Oh, in my mindset. <laughs> my lifestyle changes. That's something that is so important that as a believer, if, if I'm a believer but nothing about me changes, it is as if Christ never died for me. I said this to my house church. If I don't show any, 
any gifts of the Spirit in my life on a regular basis, I am basically saying Christ never died, Christ never rose from the dead, and Christ never ascended. Because when he ascended, he gave me the Spirit. And if, if that is true, and I absolutely believe that is true, I have to see the life of the Spirit within me, that the gifts of the Spirit must be present on a daily basis. It has to show. Otherwise, I am saying Christ never died. Really. Because this is evidence of Christ's death and resurrection and his ascension. So there must be changes in who I am and how I think, how I react to things, how I behave, how I speak. One of the things that um, I've been so challenged to do, I think, the last couple of years has been, I remember, I remember God saying to me, you need to change the way you talk now. You cannot talk the same way you used to talk. You gotta stop making some of the jokes you used to make. The way you treat people, the way you speak to them, though you might think it was just all joking and all funny and whatnot. And I might say, oh, it is just you know, fun and games. But he says, you need to start changing how you talk to them. You need to start changing how you are with anyone. Because you carry with, because I carry with me my mouth as a mouthpiece of my God, and my Father in heaven. And what I say is a reflection of what my Father says. And if I say certain things where even though it might just be joking, but it brings them down, that is a reflection on the per, to the person from me who my Father is. And it is absolutely not correct. Like I said, as an ambassador of any country, when you are in, uh, let's say the ambassador of I don't know, X, X, Y, Z, that happens to be in this country, they will speak of the country of X, Y, Z. They will not speak of, a, of maybe a Canadian way because that is not who they represent. And for me, if I don't represent my father in my speech, I am not... Uh, in a sense, I'm... I'm, 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 I'm washing away, I am nullifying, I am diminishing what Christ has done for me. So my lifestyle must change. It must change from not who I am anymore, but who is in me and has redeemed me. It must change from not, it has to move from not who I am, because we all want identity. It's just a world thing. We all want to have be identified by something. But a lifestyle ch transformation that happens with this man is, it's not about who I am anymore, but it is about who is in me. This man says, it is me, it is me. But he says, it is Jesus who has opened my eyes to see. That's changed. He is not the same man. He is not the beggar that was on the streets. He wasn't the one who was blind and asking people for help. He was the one who is now suddenly walking around with his confidence and saying, I am, I am he, but I can now see. And, there is some, and it is somebody who has now opened my eyes. That's who he is. He's, his life changed. To the point where people almost couldn't recognize him. They're saying, is this really him? Is this really him? Well, I think this, this absolutely, for me, it's, it's such a, uh, a God thing because there are people that have known me for such a long time. Um, and when I first heard this, uh, not from them directly, um, but I heard it from, from Jane, I was very, very, I was very blown away. Um, one being uh, a sister-in-law who, who said, he's changed. And I'm talking about in the last, what, four years or so. So she's known me. We've known each other for a long time, uh, 20 years, something like that. <laughs> All right, we've known each other for a while. And so, so her sister also happens to have known me for that same amount of time. Uh, but for her to say, after 15 years, after 17 years, Sheldon's changed, says a heck of a lot 
about what God has done in my life and what kind of change is happening in my life. The thing is, I don't even sometimes realize it's happening. But I have been saying to God, here I am, change me. I've been saying to him, I am like, um, you know those, um, what do they call uh, those stat, you know David, the uh, statue in Italy, or, you know this one, or, or whatever he is? What's that thing called? Is it just called statue? Sculpture, yeah, that's the word, not statue, sculpture. I always, I always like, I, sometimes I say to God, God, here I am, a sculpture. It's, it's getting there, but keep chiseling, keep, keep going at it, keep making it more and more perfect so it more and more be, is like Jesus. So sometimes, I, I say this to him, I don't even realize he's been chipping away, chipping away. But what happens is people start to see it. So to have this, my sister-in-law, who's, like I said, known me now for, what, 20 years or so, to say in the last couple of years, Sheldon's changed, I was shocked. It says to me, God is doing something in my life, and he is doing it, like, full force. Because how could it be that in 20 years, suddenly, only in a couple of years, this starts changing like this, this, this. Uh, another person that, that one, this one also really, really caught me off guard was my mother. She says, again, not to me directly, uh, I don't know my son anymore. He is not the Sheldon I've always known. So we're talking 30, 30 something years. <laughs> All right, but to have my own mother say that he is not the son I know, it was, was very shocking to me. Uh, to say that I don't know what he's like anymore. He doesn't do things I've always known him to do. He doesn't behave the same way. He doesn't think, he doesn't react the same way. He, 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 he doesn't live the same way anymore. So, because, and, and some of the things maybe may not be of God, but I know some, a lot of the things are of God. A lot of things he's transforming in my life. And it, to a point where people are noticing and saying, this is my son, this is Sheldon, but he's changed. I don't know him anymore. And yet, what is it that, I, what is it that my, my hope is, is that what they're seeing is not me anymore, but it is who is in me, it is Christ. That Christ's character is in me, so that people, when they see me, they say, but you are different. I remember there was a piano student, this is gonna go long, okay. <laughs> I had a piano student, um, uh, don't have them anymore, but uh, we was brief, but it was such a fun lesson, uh, partly because we talked a lot. Um, <laughs> but this was, this was the really neat thing is this, eh? Um, when we had our lessons, he would come, I'd want to play because I knew if we don't start playing, it'd be 45 minutes later and we'll like play like one song. And it feels almost like I'm not doing my job anymore. I'm being paid to just chit chat with him. but. Here's the thing, when we talked, it was always the things of life, of God. I would always be able to bring up God with him. And he would always be wondering, oh, but why do you do it this way? Why do you do it like that? Why like this? Why like that? And I'd say, oh, because there is a father. It was such a cool thing that he's, even in our conversation, he says, oh, that's not how most people do it. I'm like, you're right, but this is how the kingdom of God looks like. This is the kingdom of God that is here, and it's in my life. So it was such a, such a neat thing to, to just... We worked together at the bank for a little while, um, and then we had piano lessons. That was after I stopped working. But for him to know me a little bit then, and then to really get to know me and go, oh, this is not who I thought he was, I thought it was such a cool thing. That there is changes in my life that reflects he's noticing things. Um, so like I said, uh, yeah, it changes. You know, it, it goes from who I am, who, who, it goes from 
who I am or I was, and it goes, but now moves to, it is but who is in me and has redeemed me. Here's another neat thing about this, this change in, in life, that when we, get, when we start to change, our walk changes. We walk differently. Like the blind man, he wasn't walking like a blind man, but he was walking as one who sees. So as I was changed and as I was redeemed, suddenly realizing that my life suddenly became a lot more purposeful, that my walk became directed, that my purpose in life wasn't about... Um, it wasn't about, uh, you know, having a good home, good jobs, beautiful family, having, you know, a good life until I save up for retirement and then I spend my retirement and then I'm gone. It wasn't about those things where, you know, having, making, making myself meaningful in life, you know, doing good things for people. It wasn't about that. My life now has only one purpose, and we've talked about this at, uh, from other teachings. There's three M's. Does anybody remember? Yeah, make the Father known. Make disciples and multiply churches. That is the purpose given to me and us because we are the, because Jesus is in us now. That's the only thing he was about. He said, the kingdom of God is here, and I'm here to make the Father known. And since the kingdom of God is here, I'm here to bring those into the kingdom. So the three M's, make the Father known. That's my purpose, make the Father known. In everything that I do, I make the Father known. Number two, I'm here to make disciples. And number three, I'm here to multiply churches. So suddenly I have purpose as my life was changed, my, my purpose in my life also changed. And then he, directs, he directed my walk now. And here's a really, this is the hard part of it too, um, that being directed means I let someone else lead me, I let someone else guide me, that it is not me who, who chooses where to, how to go about things, even though maybe my, I know the purpose, the three M's, I have to make the Father known, I'm here to uh, make disciples, I'm here to multiply churches. It is so easy then to say, ah, now that I have my purpose, let me decide how it's gonna happen. But my lifestyle, we know it changes because suddenly it is not me who directs my walk anymore, but I am directed by someone else and is directed by God himself. He's saying, I will show you how to do this. I will show you how it gets done. I need somebody to go do it on my behalf to represent the kingdom, but will you let me direct it for you so that it is not you who decides how things go? And it's such a hard thing. I, growing up in, in, in this culture society where it's about independency, it's about independency. Um, it's like, if I look at Phoebe, when she was in her early, early stages, it's like, she was like, I'm going to do it myself. And it was so hard uh, to watch her uh, and say, no, yes, you can, but let us show you how it can be done so that you can do it a certain way that will be beneficial for you. It would be better for you. It would be easier for you. Uh, I, and this, this happens in my teaching, too. I see so many of my students trying so hard to do something. And I'm like, if you would just listen to me, and just follow what I say, your life will be so much easier and it will be done so much faster. And this point I will bring back later on, okay? But it, yeah, so often I, I find myself going, sometimes going, okay, this is my purpose, away I go. But one of the changes in my life that will happen is, and as a man, as a man was, was that suddenly he had purpose, he was directed in how to walk, there was, uh, there was a visible change. He wasn't walking like a blind man anymore, but he had purpose. So I'm saying to us right now that if you continuously connect to Christ and the body, and this is a key, it's not just Christ, but Christ and the body, 
because Christ and the body are one. You can't separate them. It's like any marriage. The two, it says, just like it says in the Old Testament, the two become one. Christ says, Christ, me and my body, the church, my body is one. It's not separate. So don't think that you can say, I'm going to be connected to Christ without the body. It's not happening. It's Christ and the body. It's two that becomes one. So if you're connected to Christ, you're connected to the body. It can't be separate. But if you do that, it is impossible for your life not to change. It is absolutely impossible. And um, yeah, uh, one last, last story about this part is uh, there were things in, I'm using you, is that okay? Cool. Um, <laughs> so we've been married, what, 10, 10 and a half years or so. Um, I remember it was, oh gosh, six years in, seven years in. Uh, because I, we had started coming, we started coming to Acts, we started learning, our eyes were open, we started to see. Um, and I had desire to say, I want to be connected to Christ, I need my life to change. One of the things that took place was that how I was as husband to Jane changed. And I remember Jane saying this to me one time. She said, for six, seven years, I've been trying so hard to get you to change so many things in your life. How is it that suddenly you just changed? How? And it's simply because of this one thing that, and it wasn't, it was Christ, but it was Christ in the body because I, I, I did have the body who also guided was a guide for me, directed me and saying, these things must change. And because I understood that Christ and his body are one, and that Christ uses his body to do this work too, I was able to change so quickly that Jane says, how is it? After all these years, I've been waiting, I've been waiting, I've been waiting, I've asked you, I told you, I wanted this, I wanted that, you gave none of it to me. And suddenly, it just all came. How is it? So this is what, this is the, the life, my lifestyle must transform. It must change. And if that hasn't happened, please, 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 uh, just take a look again at your life and say, am I connected? Because if you're connected, it's impossible not to start changing. It's impossible. And talking about connected to the church and the body, one that is living this life. Because if you find one who doesn't live this life, I will be just like that. I, if, I found, find a, if I want to get better at piano, if I found somebody who was equal or lesser than me, I will not become any more than what I am right now. A couple years ago, I, I'm sorry I said that was the last story. Here's another one. A couple years ago, I decided that I need to get better at piano. And um, I had to find somebody who was better than me. Um, because if I found somebody who was similar or same, I will become the same or even lesser. I had to find somebody who knew more, who played more, who was better, who was way above me, who was more experienced, who understood things, so that when I go to them, I get to go up. I get to be more like what I need to become. And this is, again, a God-directed thing, hey? If you ask me, do I really want to go take piano lessons? Uh, it's going to cost me an arm and a leg, because I mean, piano lessons is it's expensive when you go to really high up people. <laughs> but I just, I just knew. I knew I had to do it. Um, so I went looking for it, I asked around, um, and, I, and I found somebody, and they were willing to take me on. Um, but my goodness, in a matter of, what, two years, I learned more in that time than I had my entire time learning piano. That's crazy, but that's what it looks like. It is so quick when you, somebody can, when I start getting connected to somebody who knows things, who are, who are better off than I am, 
who, who have walked the walk before me and can get me there. And that's how it is with anything, right? As parents, or even as if you teach anyone anything, like, I know I keep talking about teaching, it's just I happen to be a piano teacher and that's all I know. Um, but, I mean, even as a parent, right, you, you don't want your kid to, to learn things slower than you. Your goal is that, I mean, for us, I hope Phoebe becomes a piano genius at the age of five. It's probably not going to happen, because I understand that it needs time. But I mean, at six months, I started teaching her. I tried to, at least, and she didn't want any of it. Um, <laughs> right? But the thing is, I, one of the things I wanted for her so, so, I, I really want for her is to, that if she decides to learn music, that she learns it from a place of, can I enjoy it first, before I start to become disciplined and to work on things and to get better? Can I enjoy it first? Because that I never learned. I, it took me until I went to that teacher for about two, two and a half years that I suddenly started to enjoy music lessons. I never did. I mean, I don't know about most of you guys. A lot of you guys might have had lessons for, in music and maybe didn't like it, but I did. I sure wasn't one of those who were like, I love piano. I just really was obedient and I just practiced. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, when I did it oh, a couple years ago, I, I, I was surprised I, how much I enjoyed music. And it was a redemption that God wanted for me, and he did it for me through my university days. But he really took it to a new level when I went and did some music lessons again. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so you will go fast. You will run fast if you go to somebody who, or someone and go to Christ in the body that has walked this before you. And that happened for me here. Um, second thing. I guess we'll make it to 1 o'clock today, 1.30? Okay. <laughs> the second thing about this man in verse 11. Uh, where are we? Uh, he answered. Oh, sorry, let's go to verse 10. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And the man answered. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. As, a, a, as an apostolic people, I'm talking about this church, but also individually, uh, what we see here is that this man, the moment he saw, he became a witness, and he was ready to talk about Jesus. The only difference between ambassadors of this world and, and us is that the ambassadors of the world are there for the interests of their country, but they keep it within their role in their embassy and whatnot. For us, we get to do this really cool thing. Uh, we get to invite everybody who's not part of this club to join the club. That's what we get to do. And it is such a backward club. All right, Clubs are usually, you stay out, we're going to keep it private. This club or this kingdom says, you're not in here? Come. Come, come all you who are thirsty, come. Because this place is for you. This is for everyone. He became a, a person ready to talk and testify of Jesus at any given moment. And he did it to his own neighbors immediately. Immediately. He carried, what the thing about him is that because, he, because of such a change in his life, people noticed it. Then they asked him, and he was able to talk about Jesus immediately. And, and the thing is, he could have been like, oh, you know, I'm, I can see now, this is great. But no, he says, I can see because there was this man, Jesus. There was this man, Jesus. Uh, 
Um, I remember uh, talking to Don a couple of years ago. Um, and this just illustrate what this looks like. Uh, Don, as in the one who's going to get married like tonight or in the morning. That Don. Um, shout out, Don. Woo! <laughs> um, he, uh, so I've been dealing with eczema on my on my hands for a very long time, uh, and it would like you know go through and break open and bleed and and whatnot. Um, so I remember hearing that Don used to have it as a kid, and he said that one day some some preacher or someone prayed, and he said it was healed, like, like healed. And I remember saying to him, I'm like, Don, I need that preacher to pray for me too. But Don's response was, but why? It's Christ who heals. Why do you need that preacher? He says, I'm like, you're right. Why do I need that preacher? Because Christ is the one who heals. So he was able to direct me back to, it wasn't this, this amazing prophet or anything, but it was the power behind it, which is Christ. And he was saying, it is Christ who heals. It is Christ who heals. And I, it, I was like, oh, how, how could I think such thoughts? <laughs> it was just terrible. But he reminded me that. And you know what? What's really, really cool? I have no eczema anymore because Christ healed me. Amen. <laughs> um, yeah. I, 10 years? I don't know. I was, what, 18, 19? Okay, maybe a little more than that. 12 years, 13 years, all right? But I tried everything you could, I tried every lotion on the rack pretty much. <laughs> I tried medication, I tried this, I tried that. And I, Christ, I, I was talking to God one day and he just said, watch, watch as I heal everything you put down on the list. And in a matter of less than a year, I started to notice this change in my hands where I'm like, hey, it's starting to go away. And I, would, I used to use like the thickest cream or this and that, and then I just felt God saying, Go grab this one and just use that for now because, you know, I said, okay, obedience, that's it. Don't need to know why. I did that. And I couldn't believe it because before I knew it, and it wasn't the cream, hey, it was just, you don't need to use this stuff anymore. I, I, it was about summer last year or something like that. I suddenly noticed that my hands are, it's all gone. Like the dryness is gone, my skin is all back. Like there used to be like little funny lines on it because it healed, but it wasn't really, really healed. Um, but that was all gone. And in my mind, I, I, it happened once before, and then I like used it so hard, I, I bashed my hands, I, I, not bash, I worked it really hard. I started like making bread, I started doing this and everything. And, and then like it like tore open like a couple months after that. But this time, for some reason, I just knew healing is mine. Christ has healed me. The power of God is done, has done this already. It's, it's dealt with already. And so I had this new confidence that I will take care of my hands, but I will not shy away from using it. And I can say to this day, as in today, my hands are still good. Like, still good. So, hallelujah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, thanks, Don. That was, that was really important for me to remember. Um, another story would be uh, our brother Nick over there. Yeah, I'm going to talk about you. Yeah, yeah. So we, we had uh, we had some uh, we went for lunch last week, and I found out that one of the things he does is he goes to this dumpling place, and uh, he'll eat there, and then he'll chit chat with the owner, um, and then he'll chit chat with them, and then suddenly he'll start talking about Jesus, and then now he says, the dumplings were okay, but he keeps going back because he he wants to talk to this owner, he wants to be a witness for Jesus, he wants to show him this kingdom. Uh, and, and it's such a cool thing. Like, this is, that, that's what Nick, that's what it looks like. Hey, someone who's, who's willing to, sp I think the dumpling is actually pretty good. I think it was just a bad day. <laughs> but 
Uh, here's a man who was willing to spend money and to go regularly for what? Yeah, to fill his stomach, but there was a greater cause, there's a greater purpose. He wants to chit chat with the owner. And it doesn't mean he gets to talk to him every time. Sometimes the owner's busy, he has to cook. Or the, uh, uh, sorry, uh, owner? He's the owner, right? Yeah, owner and chef. So he has to, it's not like he's just gonna come out of the kitchen and be like, hey, let's talk, right? So Nick will have to keep going back and keep spending money just to have an opportunity to talk to, to this, this chef, this owner. But he's doing that, hey? That's, a red, that's, some, that's someone who's willing to witness and ready to witness at any given moment. Uh, I, I look at, um, uh, you look, look in the Bible, you look at someone like Legion, who after casting out, having cast out all the demons, Jesus says, you stay, don't come with me. Why? Because he became a witness for Christ. He suddenly was, and, and the whole entire village gets saved because of this. You look at the man who was at the pool of uh, Bethesda, uh, who couldn't get in. Again, Jesus goes and heals him. And what happens? He goes and saves. He goes and becomes a witness of what Christ had done in his life. So it's impossible. I, I, I can't imagine that none of us has a, has a story. We all have our stories. You know, maybe it may not be as, or at least in our minds, because I, I think this sometimes. I think, if I look at Pavan's story, I'm like, man, look at what Christ has done in his life. To take him from this lifestyle to, a, to like, such a different lifestyle. How, that's amazing. I, I don't have a story like that. How can I be effective? But, man, sorry, I'm, but come on, guys, you guys have stories. You guys have stories. You have stories that will influence the sphere you're in. Mine just happens to be a piano student, so I keep talking about my piano students. You know, I, just a couple months ago, I started in-person lessons. I had a kid who showed up, and uh, I mean, this is like COVID, you know, still kind of hanging around, and he comes to my lesson, he's just like sniffling and blowing his nose like nonstop, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> this isn't really, I don't know if this is the best way to go about this, okay, guys? Um, so I asked, I'm like, hey, what's going on? They told me, you know, his parents are like, oh, he has allergies. It's just causing, I'm like, oh, no big deal. But then because of who I know Christ to be, who I know what he's done in my life, I said, hey, you know what? Christ has healed me of things in my life from an ankle that was so busted in one day. It went from sprain to jumping and running. It's, it's impossible to, to a point where I know I have a new ankle on my right ankle. I've never sprained it since, and we're talking seven years since then. All right, I used to sprain it like once every year, maybe once every half year. I'll play some hockey, I'll sprain it. It happened all the time, and I knew, I could tell from the how, how bad the pain was, I could tell how badly I sprained it. Like, or like, yeah, I knew how bad sprains were just because I had done it so many times. But I said to them, I'm like, I have a God who heals. And, and, and I said, will you let me pray for you? And they were kind of, I think they were believers. I'm not sure. Uh, so he said, sure. And so I prayed. Uh, simple words. Because, hey, I, I say, I, I, can't, I don't have much. I only have the power of Christ in me, which is everything I need. I prayed for them. And I just said, yeah, see you later. Uh, a week later, I noticed that nothing was going on. And I forgot to ask. So the second week, I asked, hey, what's going on with your nose? How is your allergies? Um, and he, they said to me, so the day you prayed, the next day it was all gone. And I was like, ah, awesome. I said, please be a witness. He was a little skeptical. They were in grade six, so I understand. <laughs> so telling the 11 year old, now go tell all your students. Because I said to him, I'm like, you should go tell all your friends and your, and your classmates at school about what God has just done in your life. He was like, ah. But... This is what Christ does, hey? And, and I have to be ready. I, ha I will have stories. Like I said, it may not be a Pavan type story, but I have stories. 
and I am ready to share. I am ready to share. And here's the coolest part, hey, is that in John 13, 20, God, uh, Jesus says that, that Christ says that when uh, anyone who receives you receives me, and the one who receives me receives the one who sent me. Christ is saying, I will enter into your situation if they receive you. When they receive you and what you're saying or what you have to share, I will enter into it. Because those who receive you have received me, and those who have received me, as in Christ, has received the one who has sent me, who is the Father in heaven. So be an active witness and a representative ready to make this Father known. Ready to make the Father known. Ready to make what he has done through Christ for all of humanity and what he has done in your life. I promise you, the smallest story you think you have will make the biggest impact on, on the nobodies that you don't think would make an impact on. Third point. <laughs> Uh, verse 14, uh, it says, it goes on to say, uh, actually, again, sorry, 13. Uh, they brought to the Pharisee the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And all we want to grab from here is this really simple, um, uh, simple, but probably one of the most difficult um, characteristic of an apostle. That everything we do is in rest. That we have to be in rest. Jesus purposely chose to do things on the Sabbath to show that on the day of rest, it is where God does things. That, no, no, sorry. That it is in rest that God can do. The moment I am out of rest, I will, even if it's the smallest, 1%, I am exerting myself in it. But in rest, Christ does it all. In rest, it's all done. I don't do any of it. And ascent people, their lives are characterized by this rest, that we are resting all the days in God, that everything is done out of the rest, out of his rest, that I do not have to use any of my strength, I don't have to exert any of my human thinking or wisdom, but it is sheerly done, sheerly, by the presence of God, by the Spirit, sheerly, nothing else. That's what rest looks like, and it is one of the hardest things to do, where I cease from any of my work, and I enter into his rest and go from his rest. It is one of the hardest things to do. But when we do that, what happens is that things that normally would have taken a person years and years and years to do, and we've all heard this, can be done in a matter of a moment. And I look at stories like Joshua and how he took down Jericho. I mean, seven days without even having to, look, to do anything. They just walked. Maybe that's hard to do. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but if God says walk, I'll walk. <laughs> uh, but seven days, and then the last day they just walk silently. Like it's such a weird thing. Like it's so restful. It is so not humanly wisdom. It, walk around, but don't say a word. Just nothing. I, I can't imagine what the guys on the wall are like looking down, going, "What are they doing?" They were making noise maybe the days before, but why are they so silent? You know. We look at Jesus. Um, why was Jesus only around for three years? Why not more? Because in John seventeen four, he says, "I've done all that I've been come, I've I've been brought here to do." He's done it all. He did in three years. Three years. We look at this building here. We literally got this building in a matter of a few days. I'm a witness to it because I was around when uh, the contact happened, and then I was around when um, we saw the owners of this building and and did everything. I'm a witness to this. Uh, this building 
I mean, some churches might be looking for years trying to find the right place. And then here we are in a matter of days saying, here's a building for you. Rest, rest, rest. And I said earlier with Jane and things that she wanted to see in me uh, as a husband, that it was, it literally happened like overnight. It was so quick. Like, how is it that I spent so many years wanting? And I'm not saying she was exerting anything, hey? Uh, I think Jane was super patient. She endured. Uh, and that she, she knew that um, she couldn't force my will, but she could only have one hope and hope in God. Uh, so... Thanks for waiting. <laughs> yeah. So. Cool. Questions? So, uh, thanks for waiting for Jane. Yeah. But any questions? It's okay. At least you guys got all, I got to see you off the whole time. <laughs> So Sheldon talked about how to be an apostolic people requires that we have our lifestyle is transformed. And then that we have to be a ready witness. If our lifestyle is transformed, it should turn us into a ready witness. As it's becoming transformed in those areas, we should become a ready witness. But even as our lifestyle is being transformed, even as we're a ready witness, we have to do it from a place of rest. If we're not operating from a place of rest, then our lifestyle may look chaotic. If we're not operating from a place of rest, then we miss the opportunities where we can witness. So next, I want to talk about clarity of message. And, and in some ways, when we look at the story of um, this man in John 9, we see that he, he knew one thing. He'd been blind his whole life. He didn't know how to read, most likely, because he'd been blind. He couldn't see words. He didn't know how to read. He, he was a beggar. Everybody knew him because he sat and begged, because he didn't have the ability to make an income any other way. He probably had people telling him what to do his whole life. He was somebody who most people considered. He, even, even the disciples said to Jesus at the very beginning, who sinned, his mother or his father? He was an outcast from the city. He was somebody who everybody, even the disciples, who maybe were at a different place than everybody else in the Jewish community, still said, somebody sinned here. What's happened to this guy? He would have been an outcast. He would have been somebody who was put aside. Hey, this is somebody who's a sinner. His life was born in, out of sin. And so maybe he didn't have the background of everybody around him. Throughout the chapter, you see one thing. Everybody asks him, what happened? And he has a simple truth. He put clay on my eyes, I washed, and I see. That was the entirety of his message. There was this man named Jesus. He put clay on my eyes, I washed, and I see. He didn't have anything beyond that. He didn't have, oh, well, then this happened, and then because of he has power, or because he's so-and-so, or because of... He didn't have any of that. He had the simple truth. He put clay on my eyes, I washed, and I see. That's all he knew. But he had clarity in what he knew. 
And so often, we don't have a clear message. So often, we get hung up on the unimportance. Well, what did he do with the clay? How did, how did he put the clay on your eyes? Where, what did, how did you wash the clay off your eyes? Did you say anything? What happened here? Like, there must be more to the story. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure I would think there must be more to the story. Like, you could have put clay on your eyes a million times throughout the last how many years of your life and you never saw then. So what's so special about today? But he never once gets hung up on the unimportance. He never once starts saying, oh, well, maybe he did this. Or he never starts adding to it. He never starts diluting what happened. He goes back to the same simple message. He put clay on my eyes, I washed, and I see. That's all he knows. This man named Jesus did this, and now I see. And, and so sometimes we need to stop trying to figure out all the little pieces. But can I simply walk in obedience? So often a clarity of message is walking in foolish simplicity in obedience to our Father. Am I willing to foolishly say, hey, I don't know all the details, but this is what I know. I know the nature of my God. I know who my God is. Sheldon was saying, talking earlier about the three M's. We as believers have to have a singularity and an intentionality of our vision. If we don't have a singularity and we don't have an intentionality, we don't know what our vision is. Our vision can be this today and this tomorrow and it can be over here the next day. But do I actually know what it is? Can I not explain it in a church? Can I explain what does it mean to make, a, to make the Father known? What does it mean to make disciples? What does it mean to multiply churches? Do I actually understand, hey, this is really what my purpose is? Or do I think, hey, well, this is what my, my purpose is, but then I'm also really good at this, and I'm really strong over here. Okay, but let's go back. What's a singularity, and what's the intentionality? What's the purpose of every person's life on the planet? Not just in this room. This mission was given by God before the foundations of the earth. Why did he create us? He created us to make his father known, to make disciples, and to multiply his church, his kingdom, his body here on earth. And, and so one thing I was thinking, Father, but so often we want to know, okay, how do I do it? Sheldon was saying, sometimes we have purpose and then we dive right into it. And the father loves to have a relationship with us. That's how we get clarity in what his message is. That's how we understand his intentionality into every situation. But how do I approach him? Something when I was looking through these notes, uh, I was thinking, okay, Father, how does this look? And one thing he said is, you can approach me as Mary, or you can approach me as Zachariah. They both had a question. An angel came and saw them, and they both had a question. But one, their questions were different. Zachariah's question was, how do I know this? Mary's question was, how can this be? Mary maybe couldn't understand how this could be, but she knew, hey, this is an angel from God who's coming and talking to me. This must be. How it may be, I don't know. Zachariah's response was, how do I know this? Obviously, he wasn't willing to put all the trust in the fact that an angel of God was standing there talking to him. I need another backup. I need to know this some other way. And, and in that, the results still happened, but he added stumbling blocks to his next nine months. He, he could have walked it with ease. Instead, he walked it not being able to speak. So 
sometimes when it comes to clarity of message, as walking as an apostolic people, we have to start removing the unimportance. Are we willing to say, okay, but God, this is what you've said, so maybe I don't understand it. But am I willing to step out in obedience and start figuring this out? Am I willing to step out in obedience and start letting you transform my life? Start letting you bring me into situations where will I be a ready witness or will I be an unready witness? Is this something that I'm going to walk from rest? Or am I going to try and figure out, okay, what is this message? How do I make this message work? How does this all work? Or do I, can I walk in rest? Okay, Father, in this situation, how do I respond? I know this is what you've placed me on the earth to do, to make you known, to make disciples, to multiply churches. And then we can take it a step farther. So we know those three things. But what is something that this church has been called to do? We've been called to ignite a, riv a revival among the 20s and 30s that will spread across the globe. But it has to start here. It has to start with us. Is this a purpose? Is this something we think of throughout our day? Is this something that we're clear on, that we actually believe? Hey, with singularity, with intentionality, we are going to start a revival that will ignite across the globe. That is what God has told us that will start here. It will start with us here. But are we intentional about it? And then it comes to our next point. And this one can seem a little bit odd. But to be an apostolic people has a component that brings about a ministry of division. And in some ways, you can go back to what uh, Anila was saying at the very beginning, that we have to talk about unity. And yes, there is unity. So how does, if we're called to walk in unity, how, how does division come into this? How is division even in play in this? And, and so I'm just going to read from starting at verse... verse 13, so John 9, verse 13, it says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had, been, who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, how, have you, how has he received his sight? And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, Why, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe him that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say has been born blind? How then does he see? And his parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He can speak for himself. And so here we see something interesting. He came in and he went back to, he had one truth. He put clay on my eyes, I washed, and I see. The Pharisees want to know more. 
The Pharisees are highly educated. They're skilled at the top of the line. I was looking up something, and to be considered a rabbi in Jerusalem, they're trained from infancy. And something is that by the age of 10, they're expected to know the first five books of their Torah. Do you know what the first five books of their Torah are? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Who of us, we might even skip through reading those books, let alone actually have them memorized. They, they knew all the details. They knew every little nuance here and there and there. But yet, they missed who the creator was. They knew the law. But they were so encompassed in religiosity, in legalism, in everything has to function this way, this way, and this way that as soon as somebody came and said, oh, I can see, they didn't know what to do with it. It didn't fit into their book of things. So they're divided. They're saying, well, he must be a sinner. And then they're saying, no, but sinners aren't supposed to be able to make other people see. So apostolic believers bring division into the house of religion. And in Matthew 10, 34 to 36, we see what Jesus says, why he came to earth. Do not think that I came to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a, father, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemy will be those of his own household. And this seems like such a strange verse. We think of God as love. We think of God as somebody who's coming to bring peace, bring, make everything as it should be. But yet God's saying, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And what was that sword? The sword was to divide his kingdom out. The sword is to say, hey, these are actually my people. I'm not here to bring rules and laws and legalism. That's not me. That's not my heart. That's not who I am. So it's time that you stop diluting. It's time that you start, stop adding to what I'm saying. So often, I think, sometimes we get stuck and think that, oh, we're supposed to be peacekeepers. An ambassador isn't a peacekeeper. An ambassador is somebody who's come to ambassador for his country so that his country gets what his country needs. And, and so, so often, we want to be peacekeepers. But we're not called to be peacekeepers. We're called to display the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace is a mighty God. The Prince of Peace is a wonderful counselor. But he is Lord. He is God. He is someone who has come and said, hey, there are ways you are to live. You need to start letting me transform your life. Without transforming my life, you just become a religion. Am I living? Am I active inside of you? The message of the cross, we talked about this a number of months ago, the message of the cross is simple, but often we try and complicate it. Often we try and add to it. Because the nature of the apostolic message conflicts with places where laws and traditions are exalted above Christ. Thus division is inevitable. Because when we break the word of God, when we break the bread, it reveals the responses of everybody sitting around the table. When Jesus broke bread, it revealed how Judas responded. It revealed how John responded. It revealed how Peter responded. And, and God also says that when you go into the world, people will hunger after what you have or they will hate you. 
But can we walk into the world in that context that I will still walk in with the message he has, even though some people are not going to like it? I can't be neutral in my message. I can't be neutral in the Father. I can't be neutral in this kingdom. But as I'm in this kingdom, as I'm displaying Christ, am I willing to be neutral to everything that's happening around me? Or do I have clarity? Do I have intentionality? Do I have singularity? And this is who my God is, and this is what he has sent me to do. So will I let him start affecting my life? Because God didn't come to bring peace, but to establish his kingdom through us, his people, so that we can be set apart and have transformed lifestyles and start transforming the lives of those around us. So that brings us to our sixth point. Rapid upgrade. Sheldon's laughing at me because I'm going so fast. <laughs> Rapid upgrade. This one I think is so cool. Going back to who, who was this man? What was his background? What was his knowledge? What, did, what type of foundation did he have? He was probably blind. He probably hadn't really gone to school. He probably had people direct his life his whole life. They lead him here, lead him there. He couldn't see. They put him down at the pool. They go collect him in the evening. They bring him back. But yet, he had the ability. He had the desire. He had the hunger. He had the realization of, hey, this is what has happened. To contend for more. And so, in verse 11, when he's talking to his neighbors, we hear him call the man named Jesus. In verse 17, when he's talking to the um, Pharisees, he says, well, I think he's a prophet. Because the reality is, he's never even seen Jesus. It wasn't like he went searching for Jesus saying, hey, I'm blind, I need somebody to come and heal him. The disciples are walking back and having a conversation with Jesus about this blind guy on the side of the road. And Jesus says, hey, no, this guy, there's a reason for this. He's part of our day today. We're going to change his life, and it's going to change this whole community. It's going to display the Father to this whole community, this one man. He has a purpose. He's not just some sinner sitting there on the side of the road. Even if he is some sinner sitting there on the side of the road, he has a purpose. He's to display the Father. But then we see what happens in verse 38. So I'm going to continue from 22 where I left off. Or verse 24. We're going to start at verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a They're talking about Jesus here. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know. Though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple. 
But we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we don't not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is amazing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man was not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard this, that they had cast him out, and found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And, and so here we see that in, in one day, this man goes from, maybe it's even one afternoon, this man goes from, this man who I don't know, I couldn't even see him, I was blind. Then probably when I saw him, his first recollections maybe weren't of who was standing around him, but the fact that he could actually see. So does he even remember what Jesus looked like? So we have this man who, all he was was a man named Jesus. I don't know who this man is, I just know he's a man named Jesus. Then in his conversation with the Pharisees, he's astounded that the Pharisees don't know who this man is. He's saying, well, he must be a prophet, he made me see. But then when he starts talking with Jesus, and he realizes who Jesus is, all of a sudden, he recognizes and acknowledges that Jesus is the Messiah, and he worships him. So we as an apostolic people need to have an accurate response to difficult questions. And are we actually able to contend for faith on our own? This man didn't have all of a sudden, he couldn't go to the Pharisees and say, teach me who this man is. They're telling him that no, he's a sinner and they've cast him out. All he knows is that this man made him see. But yet, in a short time, he recognized, hey, this man who made me see, he is the Messiah. He's who this entire country is searching for, yet they do not see him. But I have seen him. He opened my eyes. I see him not just with my physical eyes, even though he's now standing here speaking to me. But there was a recognition of, hey, I know who this man is. Who we have searched for for the last 2,000 years is standing in front of me. I know who this man is. He wasn't dependent on some prophet. He wasn't dependent on a rabbi to say, hey, this is who this man is. He knew one thing, who I've been searching for. He, I washed and now I see. He had to go back to the only truth he knew. I could not see, but now I can see. And this man is the king of kings. And so, are we able to rapidly upgrade? Are we able to say, okay, Father, this is who you are. Maybe I've learned you as Father, but am I continually contending for more of you, or am I happy to depend on those around me? Maybe Jane is great at leading worship, so am I happy to just come to church on Sunday and say, oh yeah, worship will be great? Or when I go home, 
during the week? Am I contending for more? Am I saying, Father, this is something more I need to break into. This is something more that I want. I need to grow in intimacy with you here. Maybe I know God as Father, but have I started to learn him as warrior? As I, have I started to learn him as mighty king? Am I dependent on just coming and having others teach me? Or during the week, in my moments, am I contending for more? Am I saying, Father, I need more than you. This is what I've grasped. This is what I know. But I can't stay here because I need to be continually discovering who you are because my life can't be transformed when I accept Christ and then stay there. My life has to be continually being transformed. So can we discover more of him? Can I learn to catch the wind of the Spirit so that throughout my day, God is saying, go here. Now he's saying, go here. Yeah, but God, I had plans to do all of these things today. Now you're telling me to go here. This doesn't fit into any of my plan of things to do for the day. But am I contending for more? Am I saying, hungering is my desire. Father, I want more of you. Father, how, how, how do I operate by hearing your voice and stepping into it? How do I be willing to throw out all of my plans and say, okay, Father, this is what you're saying. This is how I'm going to go. Because I don't want to settle down for just a good father. Because if I settle down for I have a good father, then I miss out on who my father is. I can know that my father is good, but not discover that, hey, he really loves cars, or he really loves planes, or this is something that makes his heart tick. Am I discovering the nuances of God? Am I discovering, hey, this is something that God's really interested in right now. So if he's really interested in this right now, I want to be really interested in this right now. But if I'm not contending for more of him, I'll miss out that today, at this time, this is what he's interested in. Because I'm still stuck on what he was interested in last week. So I want to encourage us that are we rapidly upgrading our lives? Are we contending for more? Because I don't want to miss out. I want more. And, and yes, we can say, no, we don't miss out. We have God. Yes, you're right. We have a ticket to heaven. We have the end. But in each day, am I living with, okay, God, what do you have here? How do I live this? How do I do this? Okay. <laughs> they were worried about spit. <laughs> taking the time by that. <laughs> All right. So I have a cheat sheet, but I thought, well, just I just want to review quickly through, because I have the notes, but, you know, we're talking here about what are traits of an apostolic people? That's us. Any, any believer, actually. Any church. What do we need to look like? What should people notice about us? Th these are the kind of traits we're talking about. And so Sheldon went through, one, there should be a lifestyle transformation. Life should look different. There should be um, a readiness to witness at any time, at, in any place. Are you ready to be a witness for God? And then the third was, do you operate out of rest? And then Jillian went through and talked about, is there a clear message? Do you have a clear message of the gospel? Yeah, and then the next one she talked about was um, you, they should notice a ministry of division, that when you speak, 
it actually exposes. It's not about making you us feel nice, but it actually exposes. Where are you at presently? And um, the third is a rapid upgrade, that you should notice some quick changes that actually, like Sheldon was talking about, wouldn't be possible without the life of Jesus and his Holy Spirit in you. So that brings us to, we have three more points, and I think mine will go through it a little bit quicker, maybe. Um, so another trait that people should notice, and we should notice of each other, actually, is that there's a clear distinction between past and present. And really, when does this start? We get born into the world, and then we talk about there's another process of being born again. So when does this life as an apostolic believer start? We get launched into it when we receive Christ, we repent, and we get baptized. And when that happens, we get launched into this new life called being a believer. And so it starts when you turn from your old ways, your old self, your old life, and you turn to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you're baptized. And baptism marks the end of me, myself, and I, and it marks the beginning of Christ in me. So has there been a moment for each of us where we decided that the me who just lived up to one second ago is actually dead? I know we've been actually talking about this the last few weeks, but it, have we had that moment where we really actually made that conscious decision that the me that lived a second ago is, is dead? And that a new me is stepping out, full of the spirit, full of, um, and that song, there's a song that we talk about, I'm alive and well because your spirit is within me. Is this something that we say is true for me? because his spirit is in me? And do I live today as if it was actually the present? Or do I live today as a prisoner of the past? I.e., I live today, I go through the life today like I would have before. No, it should look different. Do I see that in my life? Do I see that in your lives? And you know, even more, one thing I wanted to highlight was, do I live today continually sentencing myself to the life that I deserved before. I'll just read that one more time. Do I live today sentencing myself to the life I deserved before? Because we don't have that anymore. If it's dead, we don't, we don't live that sentence anymore. If you're a prisoner, you die, you don't live out that sentence anymore. It's gone. So do, you, do we live today as if whatever you may have deserved in the past is gone. It's a done deal. Do you give yourself that restart, that new chance to try again? Maybe my surroundings might be new, maybe clothing might be new, jobs or relationships might be new, but do I actually walk and talk like I'm new? And that's actually part of what we talked about just even last week where Jacob was saying, it's one thing to be set free, it's one thing to, it's another to walk free. What does it actually look like to walk and stay free? And that's that newness, walking in that newness, that, that what I deserved before is, is done. And so I get that opportunity to try again, to try new. And the best example I have is um, 
is um, something that Phoebe does. And uh, I don't know if you've ever watched Dragon's Den. There's a, there's a dragon called Kevin O'Leary, and one of his pet phrases is, you're dead to me. So if you, if you make a pitch to Kevin O'Leary, and uh, he, he gives you an offer, and you say no, and you reject him, then he says, you're dead to me. <laughs> and it's pretty cruel, but... <laughs> But actually, the, I, I, it really sticks to me. And so one of the things Phoebe does is, and I think you know, it's a toddler thing too, but you know, she, they can't hold two things at the same time. You can't. It's like it's impossible. Like their, their brains just can't handle it. And so she'll be holding one thing, and then when she sees something better, she'll like drop it like it's dead. Literally, that's what it looks like. It, it could, it's like dead, dead. And she's like straight beelining for that new thing. Maybe it's cheese. Maybe it's one of you saying she wants to say hi whatever it is but she like drops it like it's hot and no second thought and she doesn't look back and that's i think that's like such an awesome example of what that looks like can i treat it like that that's kind of like the recklessness that when we say reckless that's kind of what it looks like can i drop it like it's dead my old habit maybe until even if i did it until two seconds ago can i drop it like it's dead because jesus said i could and because his spirit is in me Another part of having a distinction between past and present is that we refuse to live in the past. So things people have said I am, um, ways I might have been in the past. Um, and then in the other way is by living off of words spoken um, by God in the past. And so maybe that was a word that was for me you know, five years ago, but am I still living under that and not looking for it and not holding taking hold of what he's saying today for my life. And um, because one of the things about being an apostolic believer is like, you know, Sheldon and Jillian were saying is we're sent ones. What do sent ones do? They move. And you can't move unless you go forward. You can't move. We're not moving backwards, right? So we need to be looking and asking God, what is the word that you have today for me today? Can we expect that? Because when he, you know, when Jesus is saying, "Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God," the the choice of bread is very specific. Bread is not like a once in a while thing. You don't eat bread once in a while to survive. You eat it every day, and so this is like an everyday dependence. Can we grow that everyday dependence on His word to sustain us and show us how we need to go things and tell us where to go and be sent? And then another part of making a distinction between the past and the present is that we don't let old circumstances, loyalties, um, our surroundings stop us or slow us down from pursuing what God is saying and doing right now. The next trait that we want to talk about is boldness. And uh, I actually really like how that, the, the man responded in the, it's kind of cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> in a way, what he's saying, you know, he's like, I already told, like, the Pharisees are asking him again, well, how did it happen? They already asked him, right? He's like, well, I told you already, you're not listening. He's like, uh, he had some guts <laughs> to say that. I don't know if I'd have the guts to say that, <laughs> right? He's like, well, I don't like, I don't want to bother telling you again. You're not going to believe me anyways. It's like, that's kind of how fir like, firm he was. Like, this is my story, take it or leave it. Right, and so that's kind of the goal that we actually kind of have to have. That this is this is what I'm saying. You take it or leave it. <laughs> right, I'm not backing down. You can say whatever you want. I'm not backing down. And so they have. We as apostolic believers have to have the boldness and a capacity to stand 
before antagonistic religious spirits or falsehoods when people speak falsely of Jesus. And Jesus talks about it. Um, and actually, one of the things, you know, reasons why we can stand boldly is because we are well taken care of. He's not, Jesus is not asking us to go and be bold because, you know, you, I just told you so, so just go do it. No, he's saying, I am telling you to do it, but also I'm giving you all you need to go do it. You're well taken care of. And in Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as, dove, as doves. Be on your guard, because on my account, you will be brought before local councils, synagogues, governors, kings. And then just actually in the same paragraph, just a further, bit further down, Jesus follows it by saying, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You're worth way more than sparrows. So it's actually all in the same package. He's saying, go. This is what's going to happen. I came to bring not peace but a sword. This is going to happen. But when it happens, I've got you. I've got your back. I've, I've hemmed you in on every side. I've got you. And when necessary, apostolic believers can be confrontational and know how to deal with intimidation. And the one thing I just want to highlight about that is that expect the Spirit to speak through you and rely on him to show you how to go about it. You know, when he's saying, when Jesus is saying, be as true as a snake, it's not like, you know, it is partly, you know, use worldly things that you have at your hands. But above that, it's saying, rely on the Spirit to show you how to use it. It's always going back to let the Spirit show you the strategies. You know, he's the one who has to come up with it. You don't have to come up with it. You just do it. You speak it. And so expect the Spirit to speak through. Um, in Math Matthew 10, 20, it says, at that time, or Jesus saying, at that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And this was when the, he was telling the disciples, you'll have to come up against people. You'll have to speak about me. But don't worry, I'll tell you exactly what to say. And in Luke 12, 12, it's the same thing. Jesus says, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And the other thing I want to highlight is it's not up to us to convince people. It's just about speaking. We don't, it's not up to us to convince. But it's up to us to speak and to stand our ground without backing down. And that's a lot of what Jillian was talking about earlier. And um, this, the next point is similar to what Jillian was saying is, um, you know, as an apostolic believer and being bold in it, we also have to understand that there is tact that we can use, there is wisdom that we need to use, and there's gentleness and compassion, but diplomacy is not a fruit of the Spirit. Diplomacy is not a fruit of the Spirit, and that's, a, that's what Jillian was saying about we're not here to be peacekeepers. We're not here to make everybody happy. We're here to present life and life to the fullest. We're here to present the one who brings that life, and that's Jesus. So the, la the second, the last trait we want to talk about this morning or afternoon is <laughs> apostolic believers recognize their identity and others recognize it too. 
And the example is when the uh, Pharisees are saying, oh, so you're his disciple. Saying, you're, oh, you're Jesus' disciple. What you're saying, it means that you must be his disciple. So apostolic believers are recognized as disciples. And they're demonstrators of two things, divine life and divine ownership. And uh, John 3.30 John 3, is, has, is a verse that I often remember, and it's, it's really just the line that John the Baptist was saying. He must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, I must become less. It's not about me, and that's exactly what Sheldon was saying about when Don was pointing that out to him. It's not the prophet, it's Jesus. And so how do we, how do we live that out, that he must become greater and I must become less? It comes through divine life, showing divine life and showing divine ownership. How do we show divine life? It shows by letting ourselves be circumcised by Christ. And so Colossians 2, well, in the Old Testament, they had a physical circumcision, right, to mark their identity. But in the New Testament, we have divine life that is displays by, displayed by a circumcised life. And in Colossians 2.11, it says, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised with Christ. And the thing that stood out to me about circumcision is, I, aside from it being like a physical mark, was that actually circumcision left the ca Israelite camp very vulnerable. Like they couldn't do anything for like days, days on days. They were very vulnerable. They could be attacked. Um, they were just pretty much resting, like they couldn't do anything. And so that's actually exactly where God wanted them to be because that means when they were vulnerable, they were primed to see and display his power, his life, and his protection. And it's actually exactly the same with us. When, when we allow God through his spirit to circumcise our lives, it leaves us vulnerable because we're not using the same protection, we're not using the same coping not using our same weapons, defense strategies, you know, ways we go about things that are like well-oiled machines. When we don't have those, we feel vulnerable. But what that does is it primes us to display him. There's actually no other way we could describe it, but actually this was not my idea. This was actually his idea. And then divine ownership. It's displayed by joining the master in building what he's building and advancing, not what I'm building and advancing, which really is the church and his kingdom. Divine ownership means I know I am not my own. I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to Christ. His desires become my desires, and his business is my business, just like Jesus saying, it's about the Father's business. I am about my Father's business. So if his business is my business, that means my everyday concern actually needs to be his church and his kingdom. Is that true of us? Can we say that, that that's actually something we're working towards, that that's our main everyday concern? Is there a constant reshuffling of our priorities, our life, um, our days to reflect that, that our business is our father's business? and that our priority is the church and his kingdom. Do others see you and what you want? Do others see that you and what you want are the ones calling the shots in your life? Or is it evident that you willingly give God the free reign to call the shots in your life? And are you viably connected to the body and the church, just like a vine is to the branches? 
where there is both inflow and outflow. There needs to be both inflow and outflow. So I want to encourage us, it, it was a lot to go through, and um, I want to encourage you to, to go listen to it again, or at least go back and remember, were there distinct traits that stood out to you? And it's not about, this is not like a, a shaming session, it's not any of that, it's really just God asking, there's always more that we need to grow, and what's the area right now that I'm tr I want to show you? and help you to grow in. Because he's not li like setting us to do it by yourself. He's doing it with us. And we get to do that together. And so I'm just going to pray and then uh, I think close us off for today. Sorry? It's still early. <laughs> Goodness. Father, we want to remember that we are set apart to set others apart. All of these traits actually are, are part of us being set apart and in setting others apart. All of these traits are necessary for that. Father, we want to make your business our business. Would you help us with that, Holy Spirit, to make your business our business so that when people see our lives, they'll see more and more that I am about my father's business. And what's my father's business? His church, his bride, and his kingdom. Holy Spirit, would you just show us through the week one area, one trait, or maybe one part of a trait. Highlight that for us so that we can start working on it. Because we want to look more like Christ being set apart you is we need it. There's no other way to set others apart but to be first set apart. So would you show us Holy Spirit this week? And I pray that we be open to receiving even if it might sting a little bit. That we just kind of drop it like it's dead the old way in that area and just recklessly go to you because there's no shame and there's no condemnation. There's only more in you. So would you help us, Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so if you want prayer, uh, you can come on up. I asked a few. Um, there will be people up here praying. So um, otherwise, have a great week, everyone.